Jesus taught in parables. And it's just so Jesus-like because it's so ingenious. It's so perfect. And it reveals exactly what he needed his people to know. And we come to that section that Matthew records now where some parables are recorded. And there's places in, in uh, Mark and Luke and, and John, especially Mark and Luke, where there are, there's some of the same parables are recorded. And uh, let us pray, and I'm going to read what uh, Jesus himself called the parable of the sower. Other preachers and theologians have, have, have taken to giving other titles to it. I have the MacArthur Study Bible. He calls this the parable of the soils. Um, there are other ways people refer to it. But I think in the text, Jesus actually calls it the parable of the sower. So I'm going to stick with that. Okay? So let's bow before the Lord and let me say a prayer for us. And then I'll read this section of Scripture, which is great because it not only contains the parable, but the Lord kind of made the preacher's job easy by then explaining exactly what he meant for us. So, so uh, there's Christ's parable and then there's Christ's exposition of this parable, which actually itself makes this parable stand out from among the rest. There's a couple of reasons why it stands out, and we'll go over some of that today. Okay, you ready? The parable of the sower. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, it's been really good for us, Lord God, to already be together here today and spend time singing and, and praying and laughing a little bit and, and, and just kind of saying hi to each other and it's, all, it's, it's really good, Lord, that you grant that, that we can assemble like this and we can worship you and we can stir up love among one another and, and encourage each other. And, but now, you know, Lord, what we need more than anything we know is to be nourished by you in your word. We need to be taught by you. And... Boy, this passage of Scripture, Lord, that we have the pleasure of reading today, though it be well known probably to many of us, is one of our Lord's own teachings, one of His own just masterpieces of revealing the kingdom to His disciples and then to us. Thank You, Lord, that this is written down. Thank You that it's written down and preserved by you down through so many centuries that we can enjoy the blessing of reading it today. And I pray, I pray, Lord God, that this word that we read and study today, that this word would challenge us, cause us to examine ourselves. I pray that for Christians, it would be a good time of sharpening. And if anyone has come in, Lord God, and, and they're not in your kingdom, and somehow maybe they've been deceived into thinking that they are and they're not. Or maybe they're just not all together and they know it. I pray, Lord God, that today, today might be the day that you use your word, Lord God, as a seed to bring forth the fruit of salvation. Bring someone to yourself, Lord God. We ask it, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day, and even before I read it, let's just qualify that phrase. On the same day, 
he's referring to the passage we read last week, right? What did Jesus do? I mean, we're, we're preaching them a week apart, but this happened right at the same time. Jesus actually said when he was preaching and teaching that uh, someone came up to him and said, your family's outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus said, pointed at his disciples and said, my mother, my sisters, my brothers, these, my disciples, the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Right? And so Matthew tells us that this teaching is given on the same day, which strictly from a literary standpoint would seem to connect the two, right? So when Jesus teaches about the, the sower and the seed and what the seed produces, keep in mind that Jesus just got done saying, pointing to his disciples and saying, these ones that do the will of my Father in heaven, this is my mother and my brother and my sisters, right? So that, that contextual point as I read this is important to remember. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered uh, would gather together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they were withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
the, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Praise the Lord. I approach preaching about this passage of Scripture uh, with a little bit of trepidation because I know that in preaching many various sermons and from various books of the Bible over the years, I have in passing referred to this parable many times. And there's a reason for that, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, I, 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 I grow a little nervous about the fact that maybe, and we don't want this to happen, that like a passage of Scripture like this becomes a little too familiar a little too common to us and therefore maybe loses its effect. But I want you to guard against that. And even if I say things today that you've heard me say over the years, you've heard other preachers say over the years, let's really really like listen and and, and try to glean as much from this as we can because I'll tell you what, this, this, this parable really is something else. All of Christ's parables are amazing and powerful, but the way that this one starts the passage and then is treated the way it is and is responded to the way it is and is set apart the way it is and is explained the way that it is really makes it something special even among the specialness of all of the parables. So here's what we're told. Let's just kind of go through it verse by verse. Already talked about the fact that it was the same day that he had already been talking to some people and he was in a house apparently and talking to a bunch of people and and someone came and said, your family's outside and we went through all that. So, on that very same day, Jesus goes out of the house and sat by the sea. All right? And uh, a great, it says, great multitudes were gathered together to him. So great was this multitude that Jesus, eagerly desiring to teach them, could not just stay there on the seashore. So, they devised something that was uh, quite smart. Got in a boat, shoved out a little bit, and now quite naturally he had a uh, sort of a theater set up. And he's sitting in a boat out on the water, and he's out a distance a little bit away from them, and everyone can be gathered around on the seashore, and you've got a little homemade theater there. So, Jesus is talking to a great multitude of people who are all standing there to listen to them. And all I'll do to say something to like kind of jostle our thinking a little bit more about that is, you know, 
it shows an eagerness and a desire among the people to hear the Lord. And it shows an eagerness and a desire for the Lord to speak to His people. And I would hope and pray that that is the truth for our lives now and for as long as the Lord gives us here on earth. Because we're certainly, if you're in Christ, you're going to be with Him and listening to Him and worshiping Him forever once this life is over. So while we're here, let's kind of take a cue from these people a little bit. And even if it's a big, vast multitude of people that's all pressed around the seashore with little hope of hearing Him, listen, just press in. Press in and desire to hear from the Lord. Even if it seems like you can't, or even if it seems like, you know, how is the Lord going to speak to me? How is the Lord going to teach me? You look at the Bible, you see a giant book that maybe is a little intimidating. Listen, don't be put off by it. If you have faith in the Lord, you come to His Word, and you trust that He can speak to you, and you trust that He can teach you, and you know what? He will. You start reading faithfully God's Word. Faithfully. Meaning you're faithful to it and you have faith in your heart that you believe it. You approach His Word faithfully. God will meet you here. That my soul knows very, very well. God will meet you here. And He will teach you. Right? And you will grow. You can't not grow if you come to God's Word in faith. So be like these people and press in, press in. The Lord can handle teaching all of us, right? All right, so I hope that encourages you a little bit. Now, so these great multitudes are gathered together and we're told that he spoke many things to them, many things in parables. So this is just the beginning of his teaching in these parables. And it says he spoke many things to them and I'll, let me just read what it was that he said and then, because it, it kind of leads itself right into the question that they ask in verse 10, which is, why did he, uh, why are you teaching them in parables this way? So, here's the parable itself. We'll just review it here real quickly, but I'll save the explanation of it for when we get to Christ's explanation of it, right? Because um, Christ can obviously explain it better than I can. So, he basically describes in the parable a sower, a sower would be like a farmer who's going out to plant a field. So the sower has seed. So this sower goes out into his field and he's going to sow seed in his field because he wants to grow a crop. And what's described is four different grounds, four different kinds of turf, four different kinds of soil, if you will, where the seed could possibly land in the course of the sower gathering, uh, scattering seed. One of them is described simply as seed that falls by the wayside. It seems like the most casual of the four. It seems like the seed just kind of drops along the way. Maybe he's reaching in a bag and he's gathering a big handful of it and getting ready to scatter it on the ground. And as he's doing that, some of it just kind of falls out onto the ground where he's standing, not even really intending for it to fall there. All right? So there's the seed by the wayside. Then, as he's scattering the seed, there's stony ground, there's ground with heavy weeds, the thorns, and there's good soil. And some of the seed falls on all three of those. The stony ground has very little depth, and so it's 
like many seeds, you've maybe done a little science experiment when you were a kid, or maybe you've gotten a plant started this way. Sometimes you can take a seed and you can just put it in a little water on a sponge or something like that. And in a day, it'll sprout up really quick. But you can't leave it there like that, right? Then you have to actually, you know, transplant it into something if you're actually going to use it or whatever. I'm no gardener. I'm no planter or anything like that. But I've seen this done, right? And so sort of uh, what happens is this seed that falls on stony ground or rocky ground, there's no depth of earth, so it never has a chance for the roots to go down. So, boom, it springs up really quickly, but as soon as the sun rises on it, because it has no capacity to get any water or any nutrients from the ground, as soon as the sun hits it, boom, it's gone. That's that ground. Then some seed falls on ground that seems to make it grow up, but there's also weeds growing up, thorns. And the thorns are sucking the same nutrition that the uh, plants would get out of it. And so even though these seeds produce a plant that grows up side by side with the thorns, they're useless plants. They produce no fruit. And listen, the sower who goes out to sow the seed He's not just interested in having a garden that he can stand there and look at and say, look at my pretty garden. He wants fruit, right? Like, uh, uh, like the Lord himself taught in another place, every branch that doesn't produce fruit, the father breaks it off and throws it into the fire. But the ones that do produce fruit, what does he do? He prunes them that they might what? Bear more fruit. So the farmer is interested in the fruit. And when he gets the fruit, he's going to prune the fruitful branches so that they'll grow more fruit. So that's the idea. So the idea here is that the seed falls among weeds and it grows up and it produces no fruit. But then there's the seed that falls among the, onto the good soil. The good soil. And this seed grows up, produces a plant that grows up. And because it's good soil, because there is good nutrition for the plant, the seed goes on to full maturity and produces the desired fruit. And even that particular type of soil is further broken down, right? Jesus says that it produces a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So even on the good soil, you have varying degrees of fruitfulness among the plants. But they're all fruitful, some a little some a lot, some in the middle, but they're all fruitful. Before you even go any further now, that's my little summation of just the parable itself. And like I said, when we get to Christ's own explanation here, we have a couple of other points to consider first. But when we get to Christ's own explanation, we'll go through more of the details. But I think that just leave this here for now, kind of festering in your mind. It's obvious on the surface that Christ is, in this teaching, separating off the seeds that fall on the good ground and produce fruit from all of the others, right? I mean, you know, which one doesn't belong with the rest? Obviously, you have three different places where the seeds fall and produces nothing. Seed that just drops randomly produces nothing. Who cares? Seed that falls on rocky ground and springs up and then is scorched by the sun produces nothing. Seed that grows of plant but produces no fruit produces nothing. Those three are common with one another in that regard. They produce no fruit. 
The fourth type of ground that the seed falls on produces a plant that grows up and produces in varying degrees, but produces fruit. So you have fruit-bearing and non-fruit-bearing. And that's the point of the parable, is to differentiate the fruit-bearing from the non-fruit-bearing. Hold on to that, and we're just because we're just going to follow the passage in the order that it's presented. And when we come to Jesus' explanation, we will revisit that. But first, verse 9. He makes this... He makes this statement which sets up the next section. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What clear inference comes out of that statement? There are those who are going to get this, and there are those who are not. Can you see in that a little bit of God's sovereignty? Can you see in that a little bit of the Lord knowing as He's teaching who's going to receive this and who isn't. Right? And that's a nice little picture of, I think, the sovereignty of God in opening the hearts and minds of those who are His elect. Alright? Now, when we get to verse 10... The disciples ask this question, and this whole idea of he who has ears, let him hear, gets elaborated on, right? And so, before you even talk about what the parable means, there are two other things which need to, addre- need to be addressed that come up. The first one that comes up here is, why parables? Before we even talk about what the parable means, why parables to begin with? Why, Lord, do you speak to them in a way that Only certain ones are going to understand. Why don't you just speak plainly? His disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them, them being that multitude on the seashore, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and he said to them, look at this, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Right? And therein, you follow up on that concept of God's sovereignty, right? Uh, You see that there are those to whom it is given to understand what? The mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, right? And so, what you see there is the word given. Who is the giver? The Lord is the one who is the giver of that ability to understand So that all of the glory and all of the praise and all of the thanks, this is so important, all of the thanks and glory and honor and praise and credit for anyone understanding these things and having faith and being saved goes to the Lord. Only the Lord is glorified. And that should be something, that little thought should be something that should affect how you live Every day of your life. This is not just a theological concept. Yes, God is sovereign, right? No, this is a practical instruction for your life. I wake up every morning with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died for my sins and He rose from the dead. And there are swaths of humanity who don't get that 
and can't get that unless God gives it to them to get that. And yet I'm among that small group of people that the Lord has given it to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That should cause a few things in me. That should cause me to be thankful. That should cause me to be humble. Humble. Humble towards others. I mean, I should not parade my knowledge of spiritual things among other people in such a way that I'm like promoting myself or putting other people down. Anything I know about the Lord, I know because the Lord has opened my mind and opened my heart and taught it. What page of the Bible did I write? What page of the Bible was I able to figure out by myself? As I told you before, if you approach His Word humbly and faithfully, He will meet you there. And as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is given to His children so that you have no need that any man teach you. He raises up teachers to teach in the church. But what's happening inside of you? I mean, I'm standing here teaching, but I can't crawl inside any of you and make you understand this. That's the Lord that does that. That's the Lord that unlocks the understanding. And so when I wake up, this should practically affect every moment of my life. I don't have the hope and the promise of everlasting life because I'm better than anybody else. I'm, I'm in fact, I'm really in a way worse because I'm a sinner and I'm fully aware of the fact that I'm a sinner, right? And still there's nothing I can do to save myself. Woe is me. Who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Well, praise be to God that the Lord opened my heart to understand these things, right? That the knowledge of the kingdom of God is given to us by the king himself ought to cause you to be thankful and humble and faithful and obedient, wanting to give over every nook and cranny of your life, the inner man, your deeds, everything given over to Him who gave all for us and then opened your mind and your heart to understand it. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the... Wow! I mean, I mean, these are the disciples, a small little group of people that He's talking to talking with when there's this gigantic multitude on the seashore and he's like it's been given to you to understand but to them it hasn't been right and and when he says to them it hasn't been obviously what he means is by them them meaning everyone on the seashore minus the ones who were his own children who he was preparing to unlock their understanding that they might believe and be saved let me say it plainly. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation, it's all because of Him. You ought to be humble, you ought to be thankful, and you ought to be willing, gladly, to surrender everything about your life to Him. He paid the price, and then He gave you faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not that, not, listen, salvation is a gift, but the, I think the point of that verse is that the faith itself is a gift from God. Lest any man should boast. 
Now, there are two things clearly in this verse that Jesus says then. Here's why, right? Why does he teach in parables? And you see, it has been given to you to know what? The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. When we see the word mystery in New Testament literature, we've gone over this before, mystery is a word that's not used to describe a suspenseful novel that'll be turned into a high-budget movie someday that'll lose a whole bunch of money and offend a bunch of people. The, the, uh, the, the, the purpose of a mystery is it is something that heretofore was described but not known, but now the truth of it has been revealed in Christ. In the New Testament, when it describes a mystery, that's what it's talking about. Prophets didn't understand it. Holy men of the past didn't understand it. But in Christ, it's been revealed. And the reason Jesus says he teaches in parables, number one, is to help them understand the kingdom of God. Now keep that in mind. That's an important contextual point. When you read the parables... Jesus isn't talking about farming. Jesus is talking about His kingdom. Right? I'm giving you this parable because I want those who have ears. I want those who are the elect of my Father. I want you to understand the kingdom of God. It's been given to you to understand the kingdom. Right? But then secondly, what? Verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Do you notice those words? Like, like we have this... We sometimes want to associate an idealistic sense of what we, what we would call fairness to everything. We do it through governmental, economic policies. We do it in other ways. We see someone who has a lot, we see someone who has a little, and we automatically assume that's an injustice, and so we want to take away from the person who has a lot forcibly and give it to the person who has a little. Right? And there might be reasons why you think that it's not the point today to argue about politics. But that is somewhat of an idealistic view of things. But when you look at this passage of Scripture, what does the Lord say about the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Those who have it are going to be given more. And those who don't have it, even what little they have is going to be taken. Hey, flips the carnal, earthly notion of what we would call fairness completely upside down. And says, you know what? The, the, basically what it works out to be is this. The person who has this love and yearning and faith and desire and joy that comes from understanding and knowing the mysteries of God's kingdom and their place in it and what Jesus did for them to bring them into it. As they, as they, out of the sincerity of their hearts, pursue more and more and more, God is going to reveal to them more and more and more and more, and they're going to grow in the depth of their faith and the depth of their understanding, and they're going to grow closer and closer to the Lord, because ultimately the Lord wants them to produce lots of fruit with their lives, right? 
But the person who like hears things and maybe maybe someone understands, yeah, I've heard of such a thing as parables. I don't really know what they are, but you know, or, or you know, the person, oh yeah, I'm aware there's a Bible and you know, but I don't really believe all those stories in it and everything. You know, the person who kind of comes to it like that, listen, whatever little understanding they may have, God in his sovereignty takes from them. God has the capacity, and this is hard for us because, again, our understanding of fairness sometimes runs in conflict with the fact that God is sovereign. God is able to expand the knowledge and the understanding of those who are His, while at the same time, hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yes? You read that passage and you read through that whole thing in the book of Exodus... And you sometimes, I've pointed this out before, you sometimes see Pharaoh hardening his heart and not listening to Moses. Other times you see what? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right? Because he's sovereign. Right? So, the two purposes of parables that Jesus reveals here are, number one, to reveal the kingdom of God. That's the subject of his parables. I'm teaching about the kingdom of God. And number two, to teach about the kingdom of God to those who are really his sheep, to those who are really his chosen, to those who are really believers, to those who are really born again, to increase in knowledge those who are really his while keeping the false at bay. One of the problems, I, I, don't know, I don't want to go into this too much, but I'm going to give you an opinion. Can I give you an opinion about something? This is an opinion of mine. One of the problems in modern church, the way it's done, is we don't have the concept, which I think is a godly and biblical one, of kind of designing what we do around those who believe. We're more interested in being big and being successful. And so, we'll maybe make the message a little softer, subtly, here and there. Maybe a little less about confronting sin. Maybe, maybe a little less about some of the harder things that are taught with regards to the principles of the gospel. Because... We want our church to get big. You don't see Jesus employing parables because he wants to expand arbitrarily the kingdom of God. Right? If Jesus just wanted to make it so everyone can come in, then he would just speak plainly, presumably, right? But he speaks in parables because he wants it to be that... The elect are the ones that respond. The true believers are the ones that respond. You got that? That's, so my opinion is that the modern church gets this wrong. Because our objective... See, the role of the modern church is to evangelize and make disciples. Nothing more. There are tasks related to it along the way. We love each other. We fellowship with each other. We come together. We do things. But the objective of the church is to evangelize and make disciples. If we 
If we soften what we teach and overlook things, patterns of wickedness or, or disbelief or discord or things in people's lives, and we just overlook them, we don't speak anything about them, we don't teach anything about them because we don't want to offend anyone, we don't want to confront everything, we just want the church to grow. There's another person who's coming, good, do whatever you can to make sure they stay. Hey, listen, I'm not going to be a hypocrite when someone new comes in or someone else comes in. I want them to stay here. I really do. But that has to be from the Lord. Right? Our job is to give out God's word and let God decide who he wants to be. I will build my church, Jesus says. And what the modern church, I believe, does is says, "Uh uh-uh, watch me. I will build his church. You get that? I don't mean to just grind an axe or anything like that, but I think we've got a little, in the modern world, we're a little too commercial, and we've got a little bit of... uh, Got a little bit of a problem with that. So anyway, there you go. Why parables? One, to teach about the kingdom of God. And two, to separate off unto himself those who are truly his. Because those are the ones who will hear the parables and get it. Because God has given it to them to get it. And God is even going to give them more while taking away what little the rejecter may have. Follow that? That's the purpose of parables. It's a brilliant purpose. It's a brilliant purpose. I, 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 Jesus is like, I just want to teach the ones that are going to believe. And you know, Jesus was never just arbitrarily about building a big crowd, right? You know, John chapter six, right? My flesh is food. My blood is drink. See ya. Have a nice day. And there, and there, and there, look, what? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can he give us his blood to drink? And the passage of scripture goes on to say, they all turned away and they walked with him no more. You know, Jesus would not be the greatest church growth consultant in the 21st century, right? But what did he do? Then he turned to his disciples and said, what? You going to? And what did they say? Where else are we going to go? You see, he who has ears to hear, hears. It's not about the number. It's about, it's about the elect. <laughs> I'm using that word a lot today, but that's who it's about. It's about the ones who are the true sheep. It's about the ones who are the true believers. It's about the ones who are real. We're, we're, we're speaking and preaching and teaching and ministering in such a way to thrill and to cause growth and spiritual blossoming in that remnant, in that remnant who are the truly saved. Hoping that in the course of doing so, perhaps God will bring others in as well. God will bring others in as well. Hey, we could go on all day like this. And you know, I've been up till two in the morning. And, 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 you know, when you stay up till two in the morning and then you have to speak the next day, you tend to like ramble and stuff like that. So I, I could really like ramble about this stuff. Can you laugh, please? I was supposed to be funny. Now, listen, what happened with Ananias and Sapphira? You know, again, I mean, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, they go out, they sell a piece of land, they bring in the proceeds and they, they lay it before the apostles as if it were the entire Revenue. And of course, they didn't lie. Their sin wasn't, their sin was not that they kept part of the money. 
never says that. Their sin was that they lied. They, they put it off as though they had been given the whole thing. And so they died that day. But what was the result of that? The, 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 same, the result was the same thing that the parables produced. It says, none of the rest dared join them, but believers were added to the church. Right? This is how the Lord builds His church. He builds His church by adding His own, by adding believers. That's how the, the Lord doesn't build His church by just saying, y'all, come on. It doesn't matter what you think. It and listen, let's not be crazy about this. Someone comes in and they don't understand everything. We're not trying to like push them away. We want people to come to understanding and we want people to come to faith. But what we need to do is preach the truth so that God like has something to work with and bring his own people to himself, right? That's the purpose of parables. The purpose of parables was to give out the truth to the believers. This concept is all over the Bible. You know, we talked recently about 1 Corinthians, which talks about the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Jews want signs. No sign except Christ died and is in the grave and on the third day rises from the dead. The Greeks want wisdom. No wisdom except this. Christ died and he rose from the dead. The Jews want a sign. What do they get? Jesus died and rose from the dead. The Greeks want wisdom. What do they get? Christ died and rose from the dead. They get the same thing. And to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, this, this idea of like the Lord, whether it's the parables, whether it's the gospel itself, whatever it is, this idea that the Lord knows those who are His and goes after them. That ought to govern how we minister and how we do church. That ought to govern how we preach. I mean, why not? It governed how Jesus preached. Is that not good enough for us? Servants greater than their masters? I don't think so. So, now, second thing. There is something that is not recorded in this account of the parable of the sower by Matthew that is recorded by Mark. And I feel, I feel it's an important enough statement that in our study of how Matthew presents this, we ought to see this one little detail that Mark presents as well. Um, so keep your finger in Matthew chapter 13 and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 should not be very far away from Matthew chapter 13. Mark, just, just a little tiny little chunk of pages. Now, in this rendition, which reads basically the same, even with the boat and the seashore in verse 1, you get this in verse... You see in verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And in the course of answering, you get this statement in verse 13. See verse 13? 
Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, I can think of two things that that possibly means. One is, this parable is really easy. And if you guys don't get this, you're not going to get the rest of them. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. The other possibility is, there is something fundamentally about the qualities of this parable that if you don't understand this, how can I possibly teach you more? That's what I think Christ is saying. I'm trying to teach my elect about the kingdom of God. And if they don't get this, how are they going to get the rest of it? What is this parable fundamentally about? And here's why I think this is so important. This parable, when you really boil down to it, and it describes those soils, the soils that produce no fruit, and then the soils, the soil that produces fruit in varying degrees. He's clearly trying to differentiate between the fruit-bearing and the not-fruit-bearing. Why? Because the fruit-bearing are the ones that are in the kingdom of God, and the non-fruit-bearing aren't. He's trying to teach about the kingdom of God. And this parable is about the most basic element. Well, I would say the most basic element of the kingdom of God is the king, right? I mean, there's no kingdom without a king, right? But then, what's the second most basic element about a kingdom? Subjects, right? Hey, you have a king and you have subjects. Those are the ingredients for a kingdom. Territory? Ah, that's nice in the earth. The kingdom of God has no territory here on earth. We are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. So territory is not necessary here. The kingdom of God is about the king and it's about his people. That's what a king... And the parable of the sower is about who's in and who's not. And that's why Jesus says what? If you don't get this, how are you going to get any... How are you going to understand the pearl of, of the great... Value. How are you going to understand about the wheat and the tares, which in Matthew is what comes next? How are you going to really understand about like the, the good, um, the, 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 the rebellious son and the loyal son, the prodigal son and, and the other son? How, how are you going to understand these things if you don't understand that the kingdom of God has people who are in and people who are without? Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? How am I going to teach you about the kingdom of God if you don't even understand that not everyone is in it? Not even everyone who thinks they are. Did you know that? The fact that somebody looks at a plant that's growing and says, Wow, that's pretty. Even though there are weeds choking off the fruitfulness of it, the fact that they overlook the fruitlessness of it doesn't add any value to it at all. It's a useless plant. And every one of God's subjects in His kingdom produces fruit. I can already tell we're not going to have a lot of time today to go into the meat of this, though we will get it started. But this is the thing that you need to understand. 
Jesus is teaching a parable here about who's in the kingdom of God and who's not. And listen, here you go. Ready? Maybe I'll make some of you mad at me today. That's good. Before I go away on a trip, I'll make everybody mad. And I won't be home so you can't do anything about it. And I don't sign on Facebook anymore, so you can't even say anything about me there. So here we go. Look, all you have to do is, is think about this. When he describes who's in the kingdom and who's not, it is not the ones who prayed and said, Jesus, come into my heart, are in the kingdom, and the ones who don't, aren't. It's not the ones who have been baptized and go to church and tithe and all these other things are in the kingdom of God, and the other ones aren't. Praying, believing, going to church, baptism, they're all good things and they're all important. And they all have their place. But the way that you can spot and recognize a good tree, a good plant, is because it has good fruit on it. It's axiomatic. Good trees produce good fruit and can't produce bad fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit and can't produce good fruit. Fruitfulness is the issue here. The ones, listen, the reason Jesus says, how are you going to understand all the parables if you don't get this one, is you need to understand the concept of who is really a subject in the kingdom of God. It's not just people who profess something with their mouths. It's not just people who have religious activity in their lives. It's people whose lives bear fruit. I mean, that's the teaching about the vine that I referred to before. The branches that bear no fruit. Hello? The branches that bear no fruit, the father breaks them off and throws them at the vine dresser, who's the father, breaks them off and throws them in the fire. Breaks them off and throws them in the fire. Hello? What's that illustrative of? Not a, not, a, not, a, not a clear enough picture of hell for you? The ones that bear no fruit have no business being part of the vine. The ones who bear fruit, the Father is actively involved in their lives, pruning, 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 and pruning so that they bear even more. Which is what Jesus, in a manner of speaking, says here too. The person who has understanding is going to get even more. And the person who has none, what little he seems to have, is going to be taken away. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Fruitfulness. Why is it important to understand this parable? Because this parable shows us who's in the kingdom and who's not. And the ones who are in are the ones who believe and endure and their lives produce fruit. You want to throw stones at me for saying that? You want to know why maybe a church like ours never grows much bigger than it is? You want to know why I don't stand here at the end of every service and just tell people, walk down, raise your hand and pray this prayer and everything's going to be okay? Because the Bible doesn't teach me to. The Bible shows me Jesus teaching his people about the kingdom of God and not just pointing to a commitment that they choose to make, but the fruitfulness of a transformed life. You say, you say that sounds dangerously like you're preaching salvation by works. 
if you have ears to hear, you know that's not what I'm saying. I can trust that. I know that my works are filthy rags. And I know that I can't justify myself before the Lord by anything that I do. But I also know that having received His grace through faith as a gift, I know that I'm His workmanship and that I have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Why do we always talk about God's sovereignty with regards to salvation, but we don't talk about God's sovereignty with regards to the works that we do once we are saved? The Bible applies His sovereignty to both. He sovereignly saves you, and before you were even alive, God had prepared works for you to do to glorify His name. You're His workmanship. And that's why we don't preach in such a way where we just make the kingdom of God, which is what this parable is about, out to be something that is just a revolving door that you can spin in and out of really easily. The subjects in the kingdom of God do the works of the kingdom of God. The subjects of the kingdom of God, listen, the fruit plants that are part of the kingdom's garden are the ones that have the fruit hanging on it. You know that an orange tree is an orange tree because it has oranges on it. You know that an apple tree is an apple tree because it has apples on it. You know that a Christian is a Christian because you can see that they live like their master. Servants are not above their masters. They walk worthy. Oh, they stumble and they fall. But the righteous man may fall and he may fall again and he may fall again, but the Lord will lift him up again and again and again because the Lord knows those who are His. You see? Do you see? And we ought to examine our lives. We ought to examine our own faith in the light of these things. I said way more today about these first two points than I expected to. As I'm, as I'm driving in the van to upstate New York today, I'll probably be told that you spent too much time on those first two points today. But uh, my wife's always right about those things. But when we come back next week, we'll devote the entire time to the content of the parable of the sower. This was just the build-up to it and the lead-up to it. But now, next week... Boy, there are so many things to say about this concept of fruitfulness. All right? So I pray that you come back next week with your ears to hear and ready to listen and be nourished about what God really says. Allow your faith to be challenged today. Right? Seek the Lord while He may be found. And come to the Lord. Study the Word. Meditate on His Word. Come back next week and we'll finish it up. Okay? I'm actually stopping a tiny bit early which means we have time to sing, time to sing the elusive third hymn. Because people always say, why are the three numbers up there? And you never sing the third one. It's because I'm a windbag. But today, I guess, you know what the moral of the story is? Is I need to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday nights. And then I'll shorten things up. So here we go. Stand up. Ken's going to come and lead us. Fanny's going to play for us. And then we're going to, uh, I'll, I'll come back and say a prayer to finish this at the end. I'll pray.
and I'm going to turn this off because I can't take this anymore.